I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thanks so much for joining me again. We know we all have different ways of learning. We have different amounts of time we can sit still. We have different things that kind of speak to us in our sort of educational experiences. Today, I'm delighted to be chatting to Dr. Julian Rees. Julian is the co-founder of Walkabouts. Walkabouts are the easiest way to activate elementary lessons with movement. Discover the power of kinesthetic learning with any device, in class or at home. Walkabouts are more than brain breaks. These web-based lessons activate pre-K through second grade content with fun, standards-based movement. This curriculum supplement integrates language arts, maths and reading content with real exercise, making active learning easy, all with no special equipment, training or extra space needed. Walkabouts are on-demand adventures that transform any space into a movement-rich environment where students engage in physical activity while they learn. Junior remembers his active classes in school most fondly. He based walkabouts on scientific research that proves kids who move more perform better academically. He hopes to kickstart a new generation of children who stay active and learn at the same time. So I really hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Dr. Julian Reed talking about walkabouts. Hi, Julian. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. One of the things that we often talk about on the show is this sense of, of children sitting down in a classroom for hours on end it seems sometimes and everything being very restricted and and we know that so many people learn in so many, so many different ways so I think this conversation and, and what you've come up with sort of really helps sort of answer some of those questions and, and gives an outlet to, to children certainly who, who don't like to live in that way so yeah first of all thanks so much for being here. Yeah thank you for the opportunity. So take us into Walkabout. What where did where did it sort of start from? Obviously, and, and then you can take us a little bit into into exactly how it works on a practical basis. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it started when I was a little kid. Uh, I was very hyperactive, um, always moving, talking, uh, getting in trouble, but not in a really bad way, but just you know fidgeting. Um, and so, I I definitely relate to you know students who move a lot. And then as I, you know, went through my undergraduate and then graduate, I got really interested in physical activity um, and how to get kids moving more. My wife's a classroom teacher and recognizing, you know, skin, kids spend the majority of their waking hours at school. Schools are ripe for intervention. At the same time, we ask our teachers, you know, to do so much with such little time. But we, I really got interested when I started reading, and this was, you know, decades ago, some of the neuroscience brain literature that is much more prevalent today that, you know, we move to learn and we learn to move. And 
it's counterintuitive, but one of the worst things we can be doing for our children as well as adults is sitting. And you know, the research on you know physical activity and, and cognition actually started in the field of gerontology in the 60s. So we, we've had evidence that moving is really important, not only for our physical health, but also for our brain health and our, and our mental health. So as I was trying to figure out ways to get kids more opportunities to move in school, I realized that I'm going to have to be creative in the sense of teachers have limited instruction time, and that instruction time is always being, um, let's see, sacrificed for different things. And to ask a teacher to say, hey, we got to get these kids moving. It's only going to help you. They recognize that because teachers, at least how they're trained in the States, they know brain development requires physical activity. But at the same time, they have to meet their standards. And so I started putting lessons together. And by no means did I invent integration or was I the first person to think, well, let's teach um, long and short vowel sounds with physical activity. But I also did recognize there was something missing that teachers might've had two or three lessons that they could go to. And then after that, they really didn't have uh, if you will, a catalog of uh, content in which they can get kids moving at the same time learning so no instruction time was lost. So early on, my lessons were really, you know, paper to pencil lessons, and I would go and I would train teachers throughout the country on, on how to integrate with movement, and I would help them with the types of movement and usually the teachers were way more creative than I was but we would start going okay what are you teaching and how can you do this with movement and recognizing movement also helps to put content into a context and what I mean by that is reach up for a long vowel sound squat down for a short vowel sound we created that concept on paper and then we were able to digitize it if you will and, and turn it in into a walkabout well, about 20 years ago, and even a little before then, we also, the emergence of childhood obesity. And when I say 20 years ago, and you might think, well, it was before the 2000s. Yeah, it was. Um, we really started to see the onset, late 80s, early 90s. But it wasn't really until the late 1990s, early 2000s, when schools were going, okay, we have this problem how are we going to tackle it? And unfortunately, there weren't a lot of resources thrown at schools to tackle it outside of, okay, what are we feeding our kids? And well, they get PE once a week. And so you started to see many researchers like myself and practitioners go, okay, we got to find ways to integrate movement throughout the school day. And to successfully do that, we have to find ways that don't take away from instruction time. And so studies were being done throughout you know, the US and throughout the country showing, hey, when kids move, not only do they behave better, they actually tend to perform better academically. And the evidence was based on something we call the executive function hypothesis. And these are these executive functions are 
you know, housed in the prefrontal cortex and really important for cognition and really important for focus as well as an attention. And so more light was being shed on, hey, it's, it, this physical activity for kids, it's not just their physical health, it can improve their social emotional health and their brain health. And more and more evidence started being presented and more and more studies were done. And it lend itself to, especially under elementary age kids, is these kids tend to like movement in elementary school. They start to not like movement once they get into middle and high school, but they like movement. The research says it actually helps to stimulate their brain. There's increase in growth factors that help the brain further develop and structural changes that lead to learning. Why wouldn't you use a medium that kids like to do and that will help you keep learning fun. And that's really the emergence of walkabouts was, let's not just talk about it, let's walk about it. We have a walkabout almost for every content that you're gonna be teaching at elementary age, whether it's language arts, math, social studies, science, that the movements tell the teacher if the kids are getting the concept, at the same time, it's making learning fun. I mean, it sounds very intuitive from that point of view. And like I say, based on that evidence and, and the research that's gone on as well, it, it does slightly beg a belief that this just isn't an integral part of every school anyway, because it's it's not like it's someone knows it's a good idea, but doesn't know how to implement. <laughs> it's that kind of, we just haven't, because like I say, they're still going to the, the test and the system is what it is. And so it, it takes someone like yourself to create something which can then like I say be embedded with that knowledge of, of what teachers need and require and, and their restrictions and all of that kind of thing so just take me into into that sort of journey from your point of view in terms of sort of study and, and your sort of like say your sort of professional background sort of around mm -hmm. that. yeah so you know I, I have a doctorate in sport pedagogy and kinesiology which I did focus a lot on um, physical education and getting teachers to teach daily PE. Um, what I also began studying, you know, along those lines were we don't see the kids enough in, in physical education, at least in the United States, elementary physical education, you, you get kids one day a week for 30 minutes to 45 minutes, but by the time they come in and you get a movement going and you transition, they're gone and you don't see them again. Um, for another week, or in some cases, you know, two weeks. We also haven't made many changes to the classroom in the last hundred years. I mean, if you go into even a college classroom today, and I, I fortunately have some moving desks, and I've tried to get my university to, you know, to invest in standing desks, and I have a treadmill desk and, and what have you. But our environment, our built environment is really just not that conducive um, to movement. And although we are we are thinking more about these opportunities, it really took evidence that, hey, this will improve test scores to get principals and administrators to kind of perk up. And, and in fairness to them, that's how they're evaluated, right? They're evaluated on, are my kids meeting the standard to matriculate to the next year. And if they're not, what are we not doing that is leading to kids 
not being able to get to where they need to be in the next grade level. Well, we were able to, and I say we, the the discipline and, and those in the discipline are neuroscience to those who focus on kinesiology to those who focus even on health policy was there is now true research that says when these kids are more active and sometimes just standing and being able to transition um, using their body, they do better. Healthier kids or active kids learn better. And so my training, which, you know, in a classical sense was, okay, I'm focusing specifically on the psychomotor domain, you know, movement eventually turned into much more of a physical activity in public health. And I went back and actually after my doctorate and got a degree in public health, that recognizing sedentary living is a public health crisis. And if you look at it from an economic standpoint, and a productivity standpoint, this should be considered a threat, just like many other diseases, because the cost of obesity from a healthcare standpoint is enormous. But then you think about those who are overweight and unhealthy, they miss work more frequently. When they're doing their work, it's not at the same level as if they would be healthier. So we recognize too that kids learn behaviors early, right? And you need to be exposed to things early to make sure they kind of take. And so getting kids moving as early as we can um, is only going to lend itself as they transition into adulthood um, to, to be more active and, and to be healthier. Where we still have a long way to go is that classroom. You know what that classroom looks like and and how do we bring it into the 21st century in in walkabout's case we realized when schools in the early 2000s in the u.s were starting to put more technology in the room with the smart boards and internet that hey this provides an opportunity where we can get the whole class engaged it's already been piped in we just need internet and a teacher now, most teachers are so comfortable with technology, our, our basic you know, entry was if you can check your email, you can log in and create a walkabout to take your kids on an adventure with the things you're already learning. So that, that's really the most important point I wanna make with, with walkabouts is it's designed to teach standards that teachers are already doing. It's not designed to say, okay, and do this. It's, hey, I mentioned the long and short vowel sounds, or it's you're using base 10. It, 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 it could be also shapes, right? You're already teaching these things in pre-K all the way to you know fourth and fifth grade. Why not use movement to do it? And now with the, with the brain science to support it, 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 it doesn't seem like um, it's, a, it's a big leap like it might have been, you know, 20 to 30 years ago. And I think one of the things that I often come across is that sense of you often have principles and leadership. Some of them are, are fearless and those fearless ones know sort of in the way that, that you were talking about, you know, if you've got movement, if you've got the arts, if you give the creativity and, and the breadth and the environment for children, they thrive. And as a result of that, like I say, the test scores will 
be better because everyone is just is just supporting everything as as they as they go through. Um, but it takes a fearless leader to be able to do that because, like you say, they've got so many pressures from elsewhere that there's a bit of a lag between the kind of I know this is going to work, but I need the test scores to back it up before I can then make sure that I'm telling the people that this is going to work. But of course, they're wanting to see the evidence first. So it seems a bizarre situation. But I think that sort of the void that you're filling here is really, really important because you you are really giving the support to those people who want to take that leap of faith or, or even just implement what they know is right. But they have something to hang their hat on to make that transition, maybe then to, to, to change some other parts of the curriculum um, and, and give that sort of, yes, we're, we're on a different path here for, for the people involved. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, You know, there are always going to be some teachers who are uncomfortable with any new type of pedagogy. But in in the U in the United States, you know, teaching programs have to be accredited, Um, and more and more accreditations are saying to their pre-service teachers, "Hey, you need to take a class with movement and how to teach with movement because it is so important." It's it's hard for me to really understand when when we're talking about one year olds and two year olds and three year olds, all we want them to do is move. Right. And we know by by certain behaviors, they can demonstrate certain milestones that you're like, hey, you are tracking the way you need to be. And then suddenly we get them into 4K and 5K and we're like, "Okay, that's great. Now we want you to sit down and it, it. it is really doesn't even really make sense when you think about how we learn. Most learning is multisensory, right? I mean, you learn through the peripheral nervous system to the central nervous system. You learn through touch and smell and sight and movement. But we often discourage that movement because we think that movement is disruptive. It's actually, to me, that disruption, which really leads to further gains in learning. And we, we know with mental health, physical activity is one of the best things to treat mental health and social emotional learning. Actually, in the UK, some of the first studies ever done on mild depression came out of the UK. And, and some of the studies have, have shown that with mild depression, one of the best things you can do is put somebody on a physical activity program. Now, moderate and severe is a little bit different, of course, and you know some people need medication, but physical activity has been shown to actually really improve focus and improve mental health. And we're seeing more of that acceptance um, now, I mean, even with COVID, we I know talking to so many teachers and saying, well, one, kids um, were struggling just being distant, but also that they're behind. And we have found with those who use Walkabout, it's a great learning recovery tool as well. It helps kids like, hey, I'm not getting this concept. Let me break it down in, into movement. And I think more and more educators either at the highest level to young people uh, recognize that. But, you know, Columbia University, I remember reading an article years ago, Ivy League school in New York. I mean, they were using movement to teach physics in different wave lengths. So we often say elementary age, but it actually can be applied to all ages. And recent studies have shown that physical activity can help to push off dementia 
and early onset of Alzheimer's. So it benefits both spectrums of the age groups. Yeah, and also, like you, you mentioned before, it also benefits public health generally. <laughs> and, and, right. and, 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 and it makes no sense that, you know, people aren't picking up on that as well, you know, in terms of that. But I guess, the, again, it's back to that lag between we know it's an issue, but it's an issue slightly further down the track than the fact we've got to put out a fire here for whatever's going on or, or whatever the, sort of the nearest problem happens to be. And you you mentioned that the movement obviously is integral to this but you also mentioned the the traditional classroom so what are some of the the things that people need to be aware of that is it a question of that they can still do enough movement just by standing behind their chairs do you need to sort of reorganize the classroom what's the what's the idea yeah you really you really don't need to do much uh the movements that we use require no equipment and really take no more than your self space um and more and more uh, research are also focusing on these incidental movements, and they're often called movement snacks, because getting people to go do 30 minutes is, is not been easy. Well, we know if you break it up to 10-minute bouts, you're more likely to engage it. But even some people, 10 minutes is too long. And so walkabouts are you know five to seven minutes in length. Um, if you play them all the way through, but you can also pause it and do a minute at a time or two minutes. And that's even really beneficial just to get a little bit more blood to that brain as you are learning something. So you don't need to redesign a classroom. You don't even need to redesign a workspace. The movements are all really self-space, discrete movements where a teacher can see a kid doing a walkabout where our characters, Jax or Gia, take the kids on an adventure. And the movement that, that our characters ask them to do tells the teacher if they get the concept or not. And so that has been something um, we found that teachers really like as a formative ass assessment going, hey, that kid was squatting down when they should have been reaching up. Um, but no, no new, you know, no additional space is, is needed. You need to have, you know, internet, but just basic movements. Um, we're talking about fundamental skills and hopping and skipping and jumping um, and you know, even running in place, right? You don't need a lot of space. And uh, that was by design as well. For people who haven't come across it, we should sort of mention it's sort of animated characters that are walking walk, walk through a world kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And why do I explain it to Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. So, you know, what we built is we built a platform that is all in the cloud online. As I mentioned, if you can check your email, you can log in. And when you log in, you have this dashboard that I'm sure many teachers have dashboards for a whole host of applications, but ours is really simple. You pick a grade, you pick a subject area, you pick a subcategory under that subject area, and then you pick a content area like a standard. So for us, say you're teaching first grade, you pick first grade, I'm teaching English language arts, and then I'm teaching foundational skills, and then it populates and oh, I want to do long and short vowel sounds and you hit play, and then our system, although it plays like a video, it changes every time you play it. And that way kids can't just memorize the answers and get bored. So it compiles this walkabout, and we have two characters, as you mentioned, a boy character, a girl character. We have different settings. We're in a park, we're in a city, and it takes these kids on this movement adventure in which we ask them to learn concepts that they normally are learning seated, you know, 
sitting down at their desk, but we ask them to do different movements to tell us if they understand the concept. Now, we also put some paper to pencil content in there. We call those walk sheets. If a teacher wants to use something after the lesson or before the lesson to see where the kids are, but you're, you're taking the kids on an adventure. It's got a little bit of Dora the Explorer, if, we, if you might remember, where there's a lot of affirmation um, because these are younger kids and we want to make sure they're not confused, but they follow our characters and our characters ask them questions. And based on the questions, they do movements. And if they don't understand a movement, the teacher can pick up on that based on the movement that they did not do. And if they do understand, they are able to demonstrate with the movement that we're asking them to do. And so I can kind of sort of visualize this as, as a whole class activity, but I guess because it's online in that way, it could be done homeschool, it could be done individually and remote as well. Totally. Yes. Great, great, great. Yeah. I mean, when I first started this, I was like, okay, this is for full classroom. And then we, we started, uh, teachers would say, well, I actually, I think I can use it at a station. Um, or kids kids get access at home. We think that's really important as well. Or some are in a computer center and they wear headphones. Um, it does work on a on a phone. It works on um, you know a tablet. It's agnostic, um, and and that was by design as well. We we wanted to make sure that you know smartphones have become so ubiquitous that you might not be have access to a computer at home. Well, I got access to my smartphone. Um, and so, yeah, it, it works in full classroom as well as individual, and it provides that flexibility for, for teachers as well as the student. Yeah, and that ability, like I say, to have the worksheet or walksheet, like I said, and, and, and all of that stuff in there as well, and and I think so many people are starting to really realise now that some of these resources which are so powerful are the ones, like say, where you're providing the content they're already doing. They're not learning new concepts or whatever. It's just being packaged in such a way that it's supporting other areas as well. And and I think it's a really important way of being able to to connect all those dots and we often talk on the podcast about community you know whether it's the child the teacher the parents the the people in the physical local community as well and i think the more people can have access to those things and it helps them all in a little way that's definitely going to be beneficial um in in the bigger picture yeah and and to your point um also providing a catalog of something that they don't have to think about after they've done one or two things, if they're not familiar with movement. We wanted to provide a turnkey approach to, hey, look at this, there's hundreds of these lessons and then they change every time you play them. And you can use it once or twice per week or you can use it every day, but it's facilitating what you're already teaching. No instruction time is lost. We, we often like to think about it as a triangle where we have behavior on one end, we have learning on the other, and then the top one is health. We're trying to meet all of those, right? Nobody's going to say physical activity is bad for you. So we're definitely improving our health there and trying to get, in, get our minutes. Well, you now know, right, physical activity is good for that cognition, that academic performance, and it also stimulates that part of the prefrontal cortex that helps you focus 
on behavior. And, you know, we've had researchers from Iowa State University and University of California, Irvine, have validated our platform and have published on it and have shown that it does work. Kids that use walkabouts compared to controls increase performance and decrease hyperactivity. So there is evidence not only from generalization of movement, but there's evidence specific to our platform walkabouts, which as you know, as an as a researcher, you always want to make sure, hey, this sounds good, but what's the efficacy of it? So um, that's important as well. Yeah, and like I say, and once people are using it and 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 more people are using it, I guess that kind of validates exactly what we've been talking about, doesn't it? Because it it it's only as good as the people that need to use it and want to use it. And like I say with time constraints and all of that, that that picture must become very clear very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You're right. And, and, and it, you know, I look at things and go, okay, has this been tested before? And if I know it's been tested before, it's one more th- uh, check that I go, okay, th- this has some validity to it. And, you, you know, we wanted to make sure that teachers understood that we understood that too. We, we wouldn't just say, hey, here's a solution. Go use it. It works. Well, how do you know it works? Um, which, you know, we get so much information today um, and th- sometimes those things haven't necessarily been tested or piloted, but we wanted to make sure we did that. So teachers had some assurance that uh, this is uh, an evidence-based solution. And it's also supplemental. We're not asking a teacher to suddenly throw out everything that they've done before. You can use this as much as you want or as little as you want. Um, and you're already teaching these concepts this gives you another pedagogy to do it yeah and i think one of the things that's sort of sort of striking me is just that sense of why i love doing the podcast so much is because it's one thing to look at a website it's even one thing to sort of hear it but there's something about hearing the people that have been at the heart of it talking about it because that just gives a whole feeling of the environment of the backstory of what you're trying to do why you're trying to do it obviously your professional situation and and obviously where all that knowledge and, and research comes in and in you know in the space of so far sort of 20 odd minutes we've been able to do that you get a very different feel than just the copy and of course it depends on how you learn and, and how you pick these things oh up. sure from, from my For sure. from my point of view you know I, I think i think that's where the conversation becomes very valuable well, and and it, it gets to why would somebody want to do this, right? And for me, it was, well, I learned by moving. And you, you can go into a classroom and you can see sometimes kids really frustrated from just sitting. And, and I can't sit for a long period of time, let alone, you know, a five, six, seven-year-old. And so if I was feeling that a long time ago, I know kids are still feeling that today. And if we can help them in some way, uh, uh, not only learn better, but also better understand um, what they need to learn. I mean, I think that's you know really a win-win. It does take sometimes that fearful leader, I mean, fearful, fearless leader, and that person who's never been exposed might be like i'm a little apprehensive um but i think movement in in throughout the school days being becoming much more widely accepted um 
and more and more teachers are seeking out resources, whether it's professional development or a resource like ours, like even a resource like ours, we provide um, some professional development to understand the science behind it. Because a lot of time people go, okay, movement, I know it's going to help my kids, but why does it help? And, and I really love having those conversations. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, blood goes to the brain, that prefrontal cortex houses those executive functions, which leads to, you know, long-term potentiation between neurons and, and ultimately, uh, if you do it enough, get structural changes in, in really important parts of the brain, well, then that's going to translate into better cognition and better behavior. And ultimately, why kids go to school, they go to learn that academic achievement. Like it or not, test scores do matter. And especially in, in our environment here, performance pedagogy is still top of mind for teachers. Hey, they came in in August, September. I got to get them to this test when they take it in May um, to validate what we've been doing all year. Like it or not, that's just the way it is, at least in our educational system. Yeah, for sure. And and, and it just sort of, um, it's a little bit of ki- akin, to, I always think, to be the parents in a, and, uh, and your children around in as much as we are the older, more experienced people. We're not always right and we don't always have all the answers. But our job is kinder to have that I've got the experience. I'm going to have a safe environment. You're going to grow and learn, and we're going to hopefully have a lot of fun together. But you know, we've got various things in place which I know, as an experienced person, are going to help. Um, and and this sort of seems like the same sort of thing. You know, I'm a teacher. I do know what I'm doing. I'm you know I'm professional. I'm fully trained. But also within that, we're creating an environment where hopefully, as a student in my class, you're going to be able to to take it to the next level. I'm going to I'm I'm learning more and more about what's going to help you learn, as well as just like I say, delivering the curriculum within that. And that's a win win for everybody then. And and like I say, that sort of changes the education system. I think for the better from sort of the inside out. Yeah, you mentioned a really important word there: fun. Right? There's no there's no reason that learning can't be fun. You know, many times. Um, we've seen kids go, hey, can I go do that thing when we were running in the field? And the teacher goes, they had no idea they were learning math, but they really enjoyed that movement component to it. It's when we are the same rote type of way of teaching and thinking everybody learns the same, which we know that is not the case. Ultimately, you know, the student suffers and they don't enjoy what they're doing as much. And next thing you know, uh, they could one, be acting out because they're sitting for too long or they're just not engaged. And yes, we all have good days and we have bad days and by no means is movement the only thing that we should be teaching with, but it, it should be another thing that we go, okay, these kids need to move. It's it's more than just getting them up and and moving around the classroom. Let's get them up and learn a concept that helps to put it into context. And I, I mentioned earlier that long and short vowel sound, but just think if you're reaching up for a long vowel sound, long, okay, context, squat down low for a short vowel sound, okay, short you can retrieve that a lot easier than as a word, long and short, with no meaning to it. So a big part of what we're trying to do is provide that context for learning as well. Um, So it's easier for kids to retrieve uh, that content and concept based on how they learned it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, And you mentioned there about the fact that, you know, 
the how children learn and what a part of a teacher sort of makes them like that. I'm always curious when, especially when people are involved in education, is there a teacher or particular um, education experience that kind of had an impact or kind of always comes to mind? And 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 even if that sort of sort of has dripped down in, into sort of what you've created in some way or another. Yeah, it, it, I mean, if on the negative side was getting in trouble for moving all the time, right? And and uh, and being told, hey, you need to sit down. But I had a great great uh, kindergarten teacher who really understood that kids need to move around. And her name was Mrs. Hendricks. And I remember her like it was yesterday. And she made learning really fun. And my best and favorite experiences were moving in that classroom. And and I, I go back to when I was, you know, in kindergarten and at five years old, and and I do know that I probably created havoc for my parents and also, you know, maybe even other children because I, I couldn't sit down. But if I couldn't sit down, I'm sure there were quite a few others who couldn't as well. And so I, I would definitely say my my elementary exposure as early as kindergarten um, taught me that it's okay to move. Um, now, she was amazing. Um, when I went to first grade, I had the total opposite experience. It was now you're in first grade and now you're going to sit. And it just didn't work well for me. I remember actually in high school getting an award from the uh, head of school. And it was because I was always moving. And as he was talking about me in front of my parents and family, he gave me something to hold on to, to stop fidgeting. Because one thing he really liked is I was always doing something and I didn't sit idly by. So although I can remember back in kindergarten, but I can also remember it being a benefit to me um, even in high school. So I think it led me, you know, I, I lost my father when I was young from heart disease and he was not very active. So I think from the beginning of my childhood, even to my adult life, I, I was geared towards health and then recognizing the importance of, of movement. I think over the last couple of decades, I've moved beyond the physical benefits to more focusing on the mental and the cognitive benefits of being active. And you're an absolute advocate in terms of that you don't need to sit still and um, and and not do anything to to get a great education. I think you can just to please say it hasn't restricted you in any particular way. Not that anyone would think that would be, that would be the case. Absolutely. Um, and is there a piece of advice that you've been given that you'd like to share, or even looking back, maybe some advice you'd give your younger self now as a, as a slightly more more mature Julian, shall we say? Yeah, that that is a gosh more that's debatable if I'm more mature as much as I have been a mover and have always been going forward and pushing I would probably tell the younger Julian it's okay sometimes to take a step back and really think about why you are doing this I think early in my career, as much as I was, you know, running around with my hair on fire, <laughs> which I'm sure, you know, obviously podcast and what, what you talk about, um, there were times I probably could have been, yes, this, this is passion, 
but it could be a little bit more bridled versus unbridled passion. Um, I would probably say that would be beneficial to a, to a young Julian versus today. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, that sort of thought, because often caveat it with the, the fact that I know as younger people, we don't even necessarily take it on board. But I think sometimes there's just that if you never hear it, then you never know. And so that experience or or hearing those things becomes uh, becomes really important. I'm just trying to also just be a little bit more thoughtful and reflective um, as because I, 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 I mean, I get up early and I, I like to do things and um, I like to move and and. I can't have a day of not having some physical activity, but I, I do think I've in my um, in my experience I've I'm been becoming more reflective and, and recognizing there are different ways to do things, of course, but trying to have a little more empathy. I think COVID taught me a lot about that with my students is I can't really understand what they're going through when they're, you know, 20 five years my junior but recognizing there are things in their life that might impact their learning i need to be empathetic to that yeah absolutely um and is there a resource that's had an impact on your life and this can be professional or personal and it can be anything from a podcast a book video song well there there's so many great there one of the great a great book that i was exposed to about 20 years ago uh, it's by a woman named Carla Hannaford, Dr. Carla Hannaford. And it's a, it, the title is Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. And she talks about how you learn through space. And she's a neurophysiologist and talks about proprioception and how we learn from our peripheral nervous system and our central nervous system. And, and, and then in 2008, a great best-selling book came out on movement and learning and movement and mental health by uh, Dr. John Ratey called Spark. And he's a Harvard psychiatrist. And he went, became very well known going throughout the country talking about movement, not only from cognition and, and mental acuity, but talking about how it's a great way to treat anxiety and depression and ADHD. Um, so those two books, I, I go back and I reread because you always find a nugget that you missed um, when you reread them, when you reread them. And so those are two that have been very influential to me. Yeah, I love that. And we'll have links to these on the show notes as well. So anyone can just click straight through and and, and, and get sure. access. Um, and just as we, as we wrap up, obviously, fire is important, as you mentioned here for education mm -hmm. on fire. But we use the acronym in terms of feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. I'm always just curious what springs to mind when when you hear those those words, and can it just be one that pops up or, or any combination. Well, the feedback uh, uh, never never stop learning from others, and be willing to receive feedback. I, I can't tell you enough how much I've learned from other people giving me feedback and my younger self maybe didn't always receive it as well as I should, but you learn so much from another perspective and you learn through making mistakes. 
So feedback to me, and when I would train uh, my teachers, my physical educators, and we talk about feedback, not only giving feedback, but them receiving feedback, it's designed to make you better, constructive feedback to make you better. So the next time um, you don't make that same mistake. And we need to really think about that on almost on a daily basis of if I do something today and I make that same mistake tomorrow, shame on me, right? I should have learned. I always tell my students, um, life is cumulative, so our tests are cumulative. Tell me something today that doesn't impact you tomorrow. It does. What you learn today is going to impact the decision for tomorrow. So feedback definitely resonates with me. Yeah, I love that. Really, really important. And and I think, like say, often the hardest thing, because you've got the two sides of the coin, the giving and the receiving, and how you deal mm-hmm. with that is, is, is such an, an interesting conversation. Well, Julian, thank you so much for well, sharing all about walkabouts, but also for, for that sort of background story and understanding about it, like I said, that we can sort of dive into here on the podcast. So just leave us, tell us where people can find out more information about that and yourself and, and where they can get in touch. Yeah, thank you so much. So you can just go to walkabouts.com, click in Google or any search engine and you'll get to... Um, you'll get to our website. You can sign up for a free trial. We want people to use it. Um, You can reach out to me if you just put Julian Reed. I'm a professor at Furman University. My email will will show up or just go on our website and hit contact and um, you can get to me that way. But uh, we'd love to get more teachers and, and more children using our platform. Fantastic. Well, here's hoping that there's people that have, have just suddenly got that extra bit of inspiration by, by everything that we've spoken about. And, and as you say, we know it helps and, and we know it's going to make a difference. So the, the more people we can we can get on that treadmill, so to speak, the, the better. So, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.